Good morning, brothers and sisters of Community Bible Church. I would ask that you please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Earlier this week, I had sent you all an email that had a video by Justin Peters. Justin Peters is an itinerant pastor in Bozeman, Montana. He has his own ministry, but he attends Grace Bible Church of Bozeman, which is the home of a master's seminary extension campus. All that to say, Justin Peters is a friend of ours. Justin's video was a public rebuke of Seth Dillon, Kyle Mann, and Ethan Nicole, the men in charge of the website, The Babylon Bee, which is a Christian humor and satire website. They're funny men, these guys are. Their tagline is fake news you can trust. Now that's funny. They also claim to be a Christian ministry. Why did Justin Peters publicly rebuke the men of the Babylon Bee? He did it for this reason. For their public failure to accurately present the gospel of Jesus Christ to the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, even making a mockery and a joke, a satire of salvation. Their Christian satire is popular, and it came to the attention of Elon Musk as he was the topic of several of their articles in which they applauded his courage to stand up against the unrighteous deeds of our government in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Their praise of Elon Musk's courage got them an interview with him in which they showed their lack of courage and lack of knowledge and trust in the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. After 90 minutes worth of interview on a Sunday, the Babylon Bee wanted to turn the conversation to spiritual matters. Elon Musk joked with them about holding an interview on Sunday, suggesting that spiritual matters had already been neglected. And when the laughter settled down, Ethan Nicole, the creative director of the Babylon Bee, he said this, quote, So to make this church... We're wondering if you could do us a quick solid and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Real quick, personal Lord and Savior, just a quick prayer. An awkward silence settled in the room, and after stickering and laughing, Elon Musk said, I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated. There is great wisdom in the teaching of Jesus, and I agree with those teachings. Forgiveness is important. Ethan Nicole asks, so is that like a 60 or 70% yes? Musk said, as Einstein would say, I believe in the God of Spinoza. But hey, if Jesus is saving people, I wouldn't stand in his way. I hope he's true. I'll be saved. Why not? Ethan Nicole said, sweet, we did it. Kyle Mann said, I think he just said yes. Ethan Nicole responded, we got him. We got him. Praise the Lord. And the room was filled with clapping and laughter. Then Ethan Nicole held up his water bottle and said, maybe it's time for a baptism. Does that sound like the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? Did that sound like salvation to you? Is Elon Musk now saved because of the courage and commendable gospel presentation of Ethan, Seth, and Kyle? Justin Peters in his video was furious, furious at these Babylon Bee guys. He issued this rebuke in his video response, saying to them, quote, you offered not one scintilla, not a hint of who Jesus is. You listened to Elon Musk give his pantheistic view of God and spirituality, and then you said, we got him. Are you kidding me? It's obvious that Elon is not a Christian. It's obvious that he is dead in his trespasses and sins. It's obvious that he is unregenerate. How could you not give the man the gospel and instead say, oh, praise the Lord, we got him. I've heard more gospel from Joel Olstein. Joel Olstein would be ashamed of you guys. For years, these three men regularly and publicly mocked Joel Olstein's prosperity gospel. Hypocrites. And here they are, they get a chance to interview the owner of SpaceX and Tesla, a man worth $277 billion, and they serve up the quick, solid gospel? This is the height of man-centered Arminianism at its finest, preached for the fear of men, for pragmatism, for profit, for Facebook likes. Justin Peters was greatly grieved over the fact that Elon Musk, a sinner just like all the rest of us, did not get to hear the gospel of truth from these Christian men. They didn't tell him that he was a sinner. They didn't tell him that Jesus is God and the only Savior. They didn't tell him they didn't call on him to repent and believe. So Justin Peters concludes his video with an accurate presentation of the gospel in hopes that Elon Musk 
might hear the truth of the gospel and be saved and not simply be asked to perform a quick solid for the cowardly Christians at the Babylon Bee, Seth Dillon, Kyle Mann, and Ethan Nicole. You're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Which of these men was walking like a child of light, according to chapter 5, verse 8 of Ephesians? Which of these men did goodness, righteousness, and truth, according to 5, 9 of Ephesians? And which of these men discerned what is pleasing to the Lord? Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that Justin Peter's rebuke proved to be the actions of a true child of light, doing goodness and righteousness and truth, even what is pleasing to the Lord, by shining light on darkness. The gospel, friends, is pure light. And the men of the Babylon Bee hid the light of the gospel under their desire for friendship with the world by failing to present the gospel of grace and truth to a self-righteous sinner. The actions of the Babylon Bee guys are not commendable. They're deplorable. Praise the Lord, however, for men like Justin Peters, commendable men who walk as children of light with great courage supplied by the Holy Spirit, willingly exposing darkness with the light of the truth. Commendable faith is the topic of this morning's message, commendable faith. Is your child's behavior commendable when they take their dirty clothes out of the bathroom? Are kids commendable when they twist the cap back on the toothpaste or return the milk to the fridge or put their shoes away before coming into the house? Is that commendable behavior? No, these are basic requirements. Their behavior is commendable when their goodness goes above and beyond the standard. The same is true in Christianity. As we see today in the text in our study of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, Paul confidently knows the children of light. You see that in chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. He knows characteristically, positively, that we must produce the fruit of light, which is goodness, and righteousness, and truth, affirming what is pleasing to the Lord in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Negatively, we must not have any fellowship with darkness, according to verse 11. These are the basics for children of light. In our text today, Paul goes further, commanding commendable behavior from the children of light, calling on us to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness. This is the kind of command that makes many of you very uncomfortable. Many of you are nauseous at this point, squirming in your chairs. Perhaps your sin today is the sin of Rodney King, who famously said, can't we all just get along? Is that biblical? Is that righteous? Is get along your gospel? Is that the gospel? And I would ask the question, according to what standard are we all to just get along? Brothers and sisters, the biblical standard is truth. We only approve what is pleasing to the Lord. And in the text today, Paul tells us plainly, commendable faith exposes darkness. Let's read the full text together now and receive Paul's exhortation to be confidently, characteristically, and commendably children of light. Reading from Ephesians 5, verses 7 through 14. The text says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them, the sons of disobedience, of verse 6. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For the light makes everything visible. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So my question to you this morning as we read this passage is this. Does this text make you uncomfortable? Why? Why does this text make you uncomfortable? What has Paul said that could possibly be a burden to you? If you're uncomfortable, I'm going to suggest your discomfort comes from one of three reasons. Let's look at these three reasons for your potential discomfort with this text. The first would be this. Could it be that you don't like Paul's name-calling? Some are darkness. Some are children of light. This division. Are you comfortable? Are you uncomfortable that Paul knows how God delivers salvation onto children of light, giving us the distinction? 
Many people are uncomfortable with biblical salvation. As God led Paul to describe it all through the course of Ephesians and all the letters that he wrote, consider Seth Dillon, Kyle Mann, and Ethan Nicole at the Babylon Bee. They were clearly opposed to telling Elon Musk, you're a sinner. You live in darkness, which is exactly what Paul is saying in this text. All are born in darkness, dead in their trespasses and sins. This is exactly Paul's message in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and his consistent letter, uh, message in all of his letters. He says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, none who seeks for God. We're all born in darkness. We're all totally depraved, continually desiring evil and sin. And as a result, God must deliver his salvation onto us. He must perform spiritual heart surgery on us. Ephesians 1 is where Paul tells us that we must be given ears to hear the gospel of truth. We use this ears as an acronym, E-A-R-S. It stands for election, adoption, redemption, and salvation. God must have elected you in eternity past, according to Ephesians 1 verse 4. God must predestine us for adoption, Ephesians 1 5. God must redeem us in the blood of his son, Ephesians 1 7. God must allow us ears to hear and understand his gospel of salvation, Ephesians 1 verse 13. This, friends, is called monergistic salvation, one-sided salvation, as opposed to synergistic salvation. We understand Paul is clearly articulating monergistic salvation. It is a gospel of salvation that screams about God's power to save and God's free will to save as he pleases. I love that salvation. This is not a man-centered gospel that would ask someone for a quick solid and a quick prayer to accept Jesus as Savior. Pay attention. Salvation isn't accepted like samples are accepted at Costco, okay? That's not salvation. Self-righteous people hate this message, and they hate you for saying this gospel message of salvation, monergistic salvation that Paul speaks of. Paul's gospel is a difficult gospel. It's uncomfortable because God alone has the power to take his elect, predestined children out of darkness and make them children of light. Many people are extremely uncomfortable with Paul's presentation of the gospel of salvation that God has articulated through him in Ephesians. They want a salvation that they can grasp with their own hands. That's not the salvation that's afforded to you in the Bible. Does biblical salvation, as Paul presents it, make you uncomfortable this morning? If not, perhaps your discomfort is not a knowledge issue, but maybe your discomfort is a practice issue, as we see in the second reason for your discomfort. The second reason for your discomfort, Paul offers, secondly, Paul offers the Ephesians twin commands to flee from the deeds of darkness in chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. These twin commands. Paul has, has, has Paul, I should ask you, has Paul made you uncomfortable by commanding twice that you flee from darkness? That makes perfect sense if you are actively practicing darkness, doesn't it? Twice in five verses, he tells us to end our affiliation, our participation with the sons of disobedience of, verses, of, of verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, and end all of our affiliation with their darkness and their evil in verses 7 and verse 11. Perhaps you've never given up on the 80s, Megadeth, Motley Crue, Metallica, Perhaps you still love to sing those songs and you encourage all the darkness and the instruction that they give. And you receive it all, all that manner of wickedness. But if not music, what darkness did Paul confront in you when he commanded the second time in Ephesians 5.11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness? Is it the darkness of your lusting, of your pornography, of your greed for money, of your dark pursuit of worldly pleasures and comforts seen in your house full of earthly treasures? What about this second do not participate command makes you uncomfortable as you sit in your seat today? The Greek word here translated participate is a special word. It's Paul's favorite prefix, the prefix sun, S-U-N, which means together with, in company with, bound and twisted together with. He slaps it right on the front of a familiar word, koinonia, Koinonia, which means fellowship, partnership, or close mutual relationship. Now, slapping soon on the front of koinonia is redundant, and it adds great intensity 
to Paul's command. It would be as if he's saying to us, do not participate twisted together in company with those practicing the deeds of darkness. The word unfruitful in the Greek is the word akarpos, akarpos. It's the same word for fruit in chapter 5, verse 9, karpos, just with the letter A slapped onto the front of it. But why use karpos with the alpha privative slapped on the front? Because he wants to create sharp contrast in this text. Friends, this text is loaded with contrast, seeking to explain to us the enigma, the conundrum, the mystery that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that darkness can be made light. Children of light are all adopted. Do you understand that? We're all adopted. Coming into God's marvelous kingdom of light is the pinnacle of all contrast, which demands contrasting instructions. We need both negative commands and positive commands, these instructions, to help us understand how we are to relate in God's house with God's rules. Characteristically, positively, children of light must pursue, as the text says, goodness, righteousness, and truth, diligently discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Negatively, we are commanded twice in five verses, do not participate in darkness, in verses 7 and 11. And I can't imagine that this is a surprise to any of you. These contrasting commands are helpful, are they not? Whether you are adopted or you've adopted children yourself or even if you've got adopted pets in your home, without question, any good welcome home will include the presentation of the family rules, both the positive and the negative. Was it Paul's negative commands that made you uncomfortable in the text? If not the negative commands to flee from darkness then most certainly you were made uncomfortable by Paul's command for confrontation, which is the most likely reason for your discomfort in this text. It brings us to the third reason for your discomfort. Paul commands exposure of the darkness of other people. Number three, most likely the most genuine source of your discomfort this morning with the text. Paul commands exposure of the darkness of other people. So what are your thoughts about Paul's command for confrontation and exposure? Is this just gut-wrenching for you? Do your feelings about it make it wrong? Shall Christians publicly expose the sins of others? Is this command the source of your discomfort this morning? I'm thinking that's the case. Tums and Rolaids we've made available in the fellowship hall if you need to settle your stomach. And you might need to because we can clearly see that Paul is thinking about commendable confrontation when he says in verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Moreover, on top of, but instead, even expose them. Paul is saying, Christian, it's not enough to merely stop doing the deeds of darkness. You need to go further. Commendable faith exposes darkness. God is well pleased when darkness has been exposed to the full force of the light. He is saying, moreover, on top of, going above and beyond, commendable faith exposes darkness. Now, you can't tell me that this type of confrontation is foreign to you. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me that you don't understand the principle or you are unwilling to do it when you have cheered others to do this type of behavior for years. How do I know that about you? because every one of us has watched the show Cops on TV. We all know what happens when a drug dealer is arrested. What do the cops want from the drug dealer? What will help them get drugs off the street? They want names. They want him, the drug dealer, to expose the evil drug empire he's been profiting from. The former drug dealer is even paraded around the elementary schools, the high school and the college to further expose darkness, warning the children of the harm of evil deeds and the harm of drugs. Now, you applaud this type of exposure, don't you? So why does exposure of biblical truth and spiritual realities bring discomfort to you if the principle is sound? Turning your Bible to Mark chapter 6, verse 18. I want to answer that question for you. <clears throat> Paul wants evil exposed. And we know that all darkness will ultimately be exposed, do we not? 
God would not allow any other conclusion to this world for his own glory than to completely expose all the darkness and bring in perfect, radiant, brilliant light. So exposure of darkness by the light is absolutely righteous, and it's coming. How can righteous exposure make you sick to your stomach? How can you have a problem with commendable confrontation? Expose is the Greek word elenko, which means to expose, rebuke, or refute. Understanding and defining this word elenko is not what's at issue in the text about causing your discomfort. What is at issue among pastors and theologians, even in the heart and mind of yourself and others, which would create discomfort, comes down to this. Who? Whose sin are we to expose? Harold Honer says, or he asked the question, I should say, whose deeds are to be exposed? Tipping his hat on the issue, Clint Arnold, another biblical commentator, says about Ephesians 5.11, he says this, quote, one of the difficult issues facing the interpreter in this passage is whether Christians are called to expose the evil deeds of fellow Christians or whether this kind of aggressive action should be directed to non-Christians in the surrounding community. You might have guessed that in calling exposing and Aggressive action, Clint Arnold is one of many scholars who, believes, who, who believe exposure is only to be done for fellow Christians. Harold Honer agrees, saying, In the New Testament, there is no reprimand to those in the world. Rather, Paul express, or exposes, rebukes, and disciplines those in the church. So are Harold Honer and Clint, or Clint Arnold, are they right? Shall Christians never speak about matters outside the walls of the church? Shall I never again comment on President Biden and Dr. Anthony Fauci? Are the sermons of the pastor and the many voices of God's children of light only necessary and beneficial for exposing, rebuking, and correcting error within the church walls alone? Many of you might love it if I would say yes and never talk politics from this pulpit again. But Harold Honer and Clint Ardell are not right on this point, and we need to sort this issue out right now. Certainly, we understand Matthew 18, 15, the church discipline process, that confrontation is necessary for purity in the church. And Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Discipline in the church is obvious. This household will find purity. What about discipline? exposure, correction in public spaces with those who are believers outside these walls and with those who are not Christians outside of this church? Did Justin Peters discern what is pleasing to Christ and rightly expose fellow Christians by confronting and rebuking Seth Dillon, Kyle Mann, and Ethan Nicole of the Babylon Bee? Was the lawsuit brought by Southern Seminary against OSHA and the Biden administration seeking to block the president's ridiculous and tyrannical COVID-19 vaccination mandate, good, right, and just, even pleasing to Christ? Answers in Genesis. Ken Ham's ministry, they filed lawsuit against the state of Kentucky and against the Biden administration as well. Shall they have done that? Shall the evangelical church in America have an opinion about marriage, Gender, sexuality, pregnancies, and the life of the unborn who are currently murdered in the womb by the millions? Shall we have that opinion publicly, or shall we just have that opinion privately? Does our opinion in this world matter at all? What makes our opinion matter? Are we speaking the truth? Do we know the truth? Does the truth set anyone free? Have we been commissioned by God to expose his world to his truth? Somebody said amen. Many would say, just speak your truth in deeds. Hmm. Do you say that to the other people? Friends, the light of truth must be spoken. It must be spoken verbally, audibly, forcefully into a sin-sick and evil world, which is exactly what we see in Mark 6 verse 17, where you are now. It is here in the text we see the example and the need for believers to expose all manner of darkness with light, publicly. 
We also see the primary reason for your discomfort in this text as well. John the Baptist is at the center of this text. He had spoken out against King Herod, who had divorced his wife so that he could marry the former wife of his brother, Herodias. And not only was she what was his new wife, Herodias, his old sister-in-law, she was also his niece. I'm making this quite a scandal. Which means she was married to both of her uncles. That's true as well. Mark records in Mark 6, 17, you can read it there with me, For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he was married, or he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, are you seeing this? First, John the Baptist is a bold man, exposing and rebuking the ruler of his people regarding biblical sexuality and marriage. He said, are you serious? You've got to be kidding me, right? Absolutely not. I'm not kidding you. It's right there in the text. Well, why would he do this? Because children of light are the global experts on biblical sexuality and marriage. You want to say that with me? Children of light are the global experts on biblical sexuality and marriage. How dare anyone tell us not to speak on the issues of sexuality? We represent God on these issues, and no unrighteous government will threaten us into silence on these issues. Furthermore, sharing light in the action is the action of greatest love. Is that right? Is sharing light the action of greatest love? You know that it is. So here is John the Baptist getting into Herod's, King Herod's sexual and marital business, exposing his personal life and the unrighteousness and evil in which he is living. Ouch! Well, there's more ouch. Second, second with more ouch, we see this. We see the reason for your stomachache and discomfort. What did John get for opening his big mouth on behalf of the Lord? Jail time, right? Herod had John arrested and bound in prison. I don't believe he got to watch any TV, didn't get to play basketball in the yard, didn't get to petition the jailer for a gender reassignment surgery. And you know the end of the story. What happened to John the Baptist? Does his act of righteousness on behalf of the Lord lead to a life full of earthly treasure and pursuits? Not at all. John's life is violently ended he is beheaded by King Herod. Mocking, slander, violence, arrest, punishment, beatings, and death. This is the end result of commendable confrontation. This is the result of God's children of light exposing the world to the light of God's truth. And this is the reason for your discomfort with Ephesians 5.11. Because when you read Ephesians 5.11... You understand, someone's head could go popping off. Someone's going to get stuck in jail. Someone's going to be fine. Someone's going to lose their home. Turn back to Ephesians 5.11 now. Pastor John MacArthur says, Unfortunately, many Christians are so barely able to keep their own spiritual and moral houses in order that they do not have the discernment, inclination, or power to confront evil in the church or in society at large. Many Christians do not expose and rebuke evil because they do not take it seriously. They laugh and joke about things that are unadulterated wickedness, that are immoral and ungodly in the extreme. He says, Pastor John does, we should be so mature in biblical truth and in obedience and holiness and love that part of the natural course of our life is to expose, rebuke, and offer the remedy for every kind of evil. Is this the ultimate source of your discomfort? Is the thought of presenting and defending the truth of God's word the cause of your pain? Isn't your upset stomach merely a symptom of the state of your own spiritual house? Shouldn't you be so mature in the faith that you know when you are biblically, morally, and spiritually obligated to expose evil, and heaven forbid, heaven forbid, even someday, like previous generations, pick up a gun, and tell another man, because you say and think only darkness continually, I will kill you for what you say and do. A brief look at history tells us this is the case. Number one, the deeds of darkness must be exposed. And number two, the deeds of darkness 
deserve judgment and death. History tells us this. Where, you ask? Where does history tell us the deeds of darkness must be exposed and the deeds of darkness deserve judgment and death? I give you the Civil War, the American Civil War, the English Civil War, the American War for Independence, World War I, World War II, friends. Exposure of darkness is a life and death, war and peace issue. Do you know how to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, including commendably exposing darkness and ultimately bringing death to the wickedly unrepentant who practice darkness? Do you have that level of discernment? This generation is racing toward a need for this level of clarity and discernment. Why, you might ask, would there be need to expose the evil deeds of darkness to the extent that darkness deserves death? On this topic, the topic for today, biblical sexuality. This is the reason for which John lost his head, biblical sexuality. Sexuality may seem innocuous, inoffensive, harmless, because it's done in private behind closed doors. And we have several generations who prove that that thought is wrong, don't we? How could sexuality start a war, you might wonder? Let me ask you. Are the practices of the sexually immoral innocent, safe, and inoffensive? Is it the case that the rampant sexual immorality is harmless and will never confront society with an evil the size of, say, slavery or Hitler's Nazi Germany? Absolutely not. It'll do the same thing. So then what happens when they come looking for our kids? What happens when they have the power to legislate their darkness? Now, a quick look at the signs of the times tells us that the stormtroopers of sexual immorality are already seated in the U.S. Senate and serving as the Secretary of Health in the Biden administration. Legislation is coming, brothers and sisters. For our brothers and sisters in Canada, legislation has already been written and enacted, even this past week. Today, Churches across Canada and America are standing together, united on the truth of God's word, on the issue of biblical sexuality, seeking to shine the light of God's word brightly on the unfruitful deeds of darkness being done in the Canadian government. Pastor John MacArthur, James Coates, Andrew DiBartolo have asked that pastors and churches join them in defiance of Canadian Bill C-4 and preach on the topic of biblical sexuality today January 16th, 2022. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why we need to preach biblical sexuality today. And it's truly amazing that I even have to say these things to you. This, this is elementary school. This is first grade material. But this is where our country and our world is at. The Bible is crystal clear about sexuality and gender. Genesis 127 tells us, male and female, God created them. First, God made Adam, the man. Then, God made Eve from Adam's rib for the purpose of being Adam's helper. The man is to join together with one woman, his wife, and as Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, and they shall become one flesh, which is to say, they, the man and the woman, will share a sexual relationship and enjoy intimate union with each other in a monogamous relationship just as God designed. That's the standard. That's the perfection of God. Why? Why just one man and one woman be joined together in marriage and share a sexual union? God's command to Adam tells us why in Genesis 1.28. Because God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And this is the way multiplication is done. One man, one woman, for life, in the bonds of marriage, making children, that's God's design for your sexuality. You mess with that, sin will follow, and your life will hurt. You can ask a neighbor if, if you think I'm joking with that. This is reality. This is truth. This is biblical sexuality. It's so basic, it hurts it to say, doesn't it? It feels like, as a pastor, I just gave you all a spanking. But you know this truth. The world needs this spanking. And now, today in Canada, if you share 
biblical sexuality with a person struggling in sexual darkness, practicing homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism, or any other host of sexually deviant activity, you will be subject to five years in jail for saying what I just said, for practicing what the Canadian government calls conversion therapy, which is counseling anyone toward God's reality for sexuality. Let me read the Canadian law to you. The Canadian law says this, quote, everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, that's you, mom and dad, including providing conversion therapy to that other person, that's me, the pastor, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. Similarly, everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years for promoting and advertising. Pastor James Coates says Canadian Bill C-4 directly comes against parents and counselors who would seek to offer biblical counsel with respect to sexual immorality and gender. Canadian law, friends, is not simply going after the pulpit and the church. It is going after the gospel. Canadian law has been weaponized by sexual revolutionaries who have effectively criminalized evangelism and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our Canadian brothers will not allow this legislation to stand, and they've asked for our help to expose the wicked darkness of the Canadian legislature and their deceptive and intentionally broad conversion therapy language and legislation. Today, these brothers are exposing Canadian sexual deviance and darkness to the light of the word of God, and they are speaking on God's design for marriage and biblical sexuality. Pastor Andrew DiBartolo reminds us, saying, we will be doing so illegally, declaring to the state that there is one God and one Lord over his church, and that Christ alone gets to both define marriage and dictate what is required in the pulpit. And to that, we all say, amen. We praise God for you, brothers in Canada. We gladly and willingly, necessarily join you in exposing darkness with the truth of the, truth of the light. You must also know, brothers and sisters, the activities of the sexual revolutionaries are not isolated to countries outside of the United States of America. Ordinance 3121 in West Lafayette, Indiana, is proposed legislation that seeks to ban conversion therapy just like the Canadian law. The sexual revolutionaries are already among us, and they're looking to ban the gospel right now in Indiana and soon in a state near you. The rampant sexual immorality of this world is grotesque and only getting more vile and foul each and every day. Look at what Paul says about the evil deeds of darkness in chapter 5, verse 12. He says in verse 12, For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Brothers and sisters, Paul is speaking about your homosexual brother. He's talking about your transgender son. He's talking about your lesbian mother and maybe coming soon your transgender father. Why are you not disgusted with all the sexual perversion around you? Oh, I know. I know why. Because it's your son or your brother who practices it. And you're choosing to be loving not rebuking and exposing, judgmental and condemning. Loving is the only answer for you, right? You practice the Rodney King gospel when it comes to your family members' sexuality. Can't we all just get along, right? Isn't that sweet? Isn't that kind? Isn't that nice? Is that you? Are you so blind to the facts of Scripture? Have you not read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so you would tell me that your game plan really is to allow your lesbian sister to continue her sexual deviance without confrontation and exposure of her disgraceful deeds to have a kind of false peace with her on earth, knowing full well the payment she will receive from God for her sin on earth is eternal death in hell? That's your game plan? Shame on you. Shame on you, Christian. You're playing games with people's eternal souls. Speak the truth. 
Shine the light. Share the truth of the Word of God into the lives of these people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Pastor John MacArthur, he says this, he says, To ignore evil is to encourage it. To keep quiet about it is to help promote it. Often, of course, open rebuke is necessary. Silent testimony will only go so far. He says, failure to speak out against and to practically oppose evil things is a failure to obey God. I'm truly thankful for Pastor John MacArthur and the many, many times in his ministry when he chose the lonely, difficult, narrow, righteous road of opposition to error, evil, and darkness because every time he has exposed darkness to light, Jesus' church has benefited and we have all been blessed. We are blessed today to join Pastor John MacArthur and our Canadian brothers to take a stand against Canadian Bill C-4 and its attack on the light of the gospel and our evangelism of those in sexual darkness. So why join these men in exposing darkness with light? In the text, Paul supplies two fruits of exposing darkness which, extol, which extol our obedience to shine God's light. It is here in the text that Paul highlights twofold, the, the twofold harvest of rebuke which blesses all in God's brilliant light. Paul supplies two fruits of exposing darkness which extol our obedience to shine God's light. So then what two fruits of exposing darkness extol our obedience and bless all in the brilliance of God's light? These two fruits, the first one is, number one, light's exposure is truthful. And number two, light's gospel is powerful. These are the two fruits of exposing darkness. Number one, light's exposure is truthful. And number two, light's gospel is powerful. And the only way to get your stomach ache and your discomfort, which are brought on by biblical, commendable confrontation, to leave you is by showing you Paul's two fruits of exposing darkness and the brilliance that comes from rebuke, which Paul provides in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Do you understand, does your life have an understanding of the brilliance of rebuke? I would hope that it does. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13, as we consider the first of two fruits of exposing darkness. This first fruit of exposing darkness, number one in your notes, light's exposure is truthful. Light's exposure is truthful. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 13, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For the light makes everything visible. Just in case you're wondering why I didn't speak from the New American Standard on the last portion of that verse, the Geneva Bible and a few other translations, English translations today, offer that help. I would give that to you. The last portion of that verse should read, For the light makes everything visible. This is the rise and shine principle of the truth of God's light. The rise and shine principle. In the morning, when you rise and shine, the light of the morning brings you to the mirror in the bathroom, which conveys the hideous condition of the state of your being. Your hair is a mess. Your eyes are puffy. Your face has lines from your pillow. You've got eye boogers and nose boogers and crusted milk all around your lips that remain there from the chocolate and cookies that you ate last night before bed. The mirror, however, is not doing evil to you. The light is not doing evil to you either, though you may feel that way and cry yourself for the first hour. The mirror in this instance is your friend. The light is your friend because it reveals the truth. And it helps you to get started on the two-hour face construction project required to get you out to church successfully. Can you imagine what would happen without visibility of that problem? What would happen without visibility of that problem? Well, look at your neighbor. <laughs> you don't want them sitting next to you with their crazy hair and their eye boogers. 
And so visibility is our friend. Visibility is helpful. And visibility is possible, is impossible without light. How many of you go camping on a weekend through the summer? Does anybody camp without a campfire or flashlights? I can't imagine that that would be the case. When the darkness surrounds you, how helpful is the light of the campfire and the flashlight that you hold in your hand? It's incredibly helpful. Paul says in the text, everything becomes visible. Everything is revealed, displayed, manifested by the light. Physically, in the morning, it's very nice to use less light, to dim the light down <laughs> about the truth of the state of our condition, our uglies and our boogies. Spiritually, however, it is never desirable to decrease the light. It's never desirable to decrease the light. Spiritually, we need to seek the light, shine the light, remain in the light, and expose the light to the darkness around us that truthfulness, the truthfulness of God's eternal light would shine and be made known. Light brings truth, and truth demands action. When you looked at yourself in the mirror this morning, you are those who didn't cry yourself back to sleep. The truth of your condition demanded action, and you responded. The truth of your condition burdened your conscience greatly, and it demanded that you grab that toothbrush right away and get started on this construction project. Truth is the first fruit of light's exposure, and it is absolutely essential and profitable. In 1945, General Dwight D. Eisenhower wanted the world to see what he called the indescribable horror of Nazi Germany's concentration camps. He suggested the United States take videos and photographs of the death and devastation to shine the light of truth on the horrors of Hitler's hatred. James O'Keefe and Project Veritas have done incredible work exposing darkness and delivering truth. Now, you may remember they infiltrated Planned Parenthood and they captured video of wicked women profiting from the careful extraction of aborted babies from their mother's wombs because certain parts of babies' bodies can be sold to their supply chain for more money, even though that's highly illegal. I know you don't want to hear that this morning, but that's what's happening in every major American city. The deranged people of Planned Parenthood are profiting from the bodies of aborted babies, which is a direct result of the rampant sexualization of our nation. What will stop the sexual insanity of our country? What will end this disgraceful darkness in which we live? Well, there are only three solutions. You can write these down. This is fine. You can write these solutions down. Number one, pray for more truth from light. Number one, pray for more truth from light. Number two, pray for righteous anger leading to righteous action. And number three, pray for the salvation of the sexual deviants. Pray for the salvation of the sexual deviants among us. This is the second fruit of exposing darkness. The second fruit of exposing darkness. Number two in your notes, light's gospel is powerful. Light's gospel is powerful. Paul says in the text at chapter 5, verse 14, he says, For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. The prevailing thought is that Paul is quoting a first century hymn here. But it also seems that he might have been paraphrasing Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, where the Lord through the prophet says to Israel, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. However, Paul arrived at this comment. We are right back at this topic of salvation, which began our time. The second fruit of exposing darkness is that God will use his truth for the salvation of dark, depraved, wicked, sexually deviant, continually lusting and fornicating sinful people, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Friends, perhaps the Lord brought you here this morning to be washed and cleansed in the truth of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Do you need a rescue from your sexual darkness? 
Will you listen and be saved by the light this morning? And for those of you that know salvation, for those of you that know the second birth, to be born again, for those of you that have received and understand spiritual regeneration, for those of you that call yourselves children of light, don't despise the commendable command to expose darkness to light. Don't reject the requirement to rebuke all who oppose the righteousness of God. Because in exposing and in rebuking, God is giving you the chance to share his gospel. And he is faithful. God is so powerful, he will use your obedience and the proper presentation of the gospel to save sinful souls. This demands that you know the gospel properly. Can you see the gospel here in the text? John MacArthur says these words are are a capsule summary of the gospel. Awake, sleeper, indicates that you were dead, spiritually gone, helpless. This is not talking about the spiritual lethargy and laziness of already saved Christians. Paul is not saying, get up, you lazy Christian, and get back to righteousness. John MacArthur says this is a call for those who are not children of light to wake up. Look at the commands of God to the sleeper, the spiritually dead. Look at them. God commands the dead to awake. God commands the dead to arise. What does this tell you about God and about His power? That He alone is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, that He has dominion both over physical death and over spiritual death. God has so much power, He simply commands the dead to awake and arise. Jesus displayed this power with Lazarus, telling him, who lay dead in a tomb for four days. In John chapter 11, verse 43, he said to him, Lazarus, come forth. It worked on Lazarus, who was physically dead, and the power of light's gospel is that it works on the spiritually dead as well. In salvation, effectively, God commands, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Think about that with me for a second. God says to the spiritually dead, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead. What does the dead man do? He obeys God. What was the dead man doing in the instant before God spoke? Nothing. He was doing nothing. He was living according to his nature, which was dead. God initiates salvation in a dead man's heart. This is why it's so helpful to pray for your relatives. Because you're not asking for them to do something, are you, when you pray? No, you pray very Calvinistically. You pray for God to act on them over the top of their deadness. That's salvation. That's supernatural. That matches the will of God. But then what about this? What does it mean that Christ will shine on you? Will you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1? Christ shining on you means that you recognize Jesus Christ is your Savior and King, that He is fully God and that He is fully man. It means that you embrace the truth of God's Word and you rejoice with Paul at the work of salvation that God has done to you and what God has revealed to you about the glory seen in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ is shining on you, you agree with your whole heart at everything Paul says in the text of Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and following. And let me read this text with you and ask you, sleeper, do you fully agree with Paul? In Colossians chapter 1? Is this the only source of your rescue from your spiritual deadness? This one, the rescuer that God presents in Colossians 1? Read the text with me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, For God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to take preeminence, first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus bodily, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless. And those two words right there, and beyond reproach. We were the ones, all of us, engaged in evil deeds, weren't we? But we were rescued. We were delivered. We were elected, adopted, redeemed, and saved. You know what I love about those verbs? Those verbs, the subject of those verbs is God. The object of those verbs is us. Can I remind you again, when you tell your testimony, make sure that the verbs that you're using highlight God's action on you. It's very awkward when we invert the order and we say, I accepted, I received, I allowed Jesus to be king on the throne of my heart. Do you see how awkward that is? It's not biblical either. You're hard-pressed to take me to a text and show me where you're called on to accept Jesus. The gospel says you're called on to repent and believe. And he's the one that makes that happen in your heart. Our salvation only happened because the light of the gospel powerfully worked in our heart as God called us to the same way that he calls everyone. Awake, sleeper. Arise from the dead. God invaded our hearts with his light. He invaded our darkness with his word. And only in the truth of his light did we see our sin and his salvation. Aren't we so thankful for the commendable faith of the men and women who unashamedly spoke truth to us, shining God's brilliant light into our darkness? How then are we not obligated to offer the truth of God's light to a dying world even confrontationally. Commendable faith was commanded in our text today. Paul said, do not participate with darkness, but instead even expose them. There is no provision for your sin or your fear to stop you from obediently exposing darkness with light. Your encouragement to expose sin must be sharing the light of truth and the light of the gospel. Do you love sharing the light of truth and the light of the gospel? Is that motivation enough for you? The truth and the gospel going out of you at other people? Is it crystal clear in your mind that the blessing of redemption follows the brilliance of rebuke? Is it crystal clear in your mind that the blessing of redemption follows the brilliance of rebuke? Are we all in agreement that salvation from the dark requires exposure in the light? Brothers and sisters, is your faith commendable? Or are you living scared? Do you share the truth, the whole truth of the word of God and the gospel, so help you God? Or have you sought the comfort of a confrontation-free, get-along gospel? Commendable faith is obedient faith that values the truth and the gospel more than peace, comfort, and a happy, luxurious life. Live the commendable Christian life. Now, what if you can't live commendably because you aren't living characteristically like a child of light? What if you are bound together today with darkness? Friend, listen to the gospel of grace again. It says simply to you, awake, sleeper. 
and arise from the dead. And the light of Christ will shine on you. The task for you today would be repent. 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 And love the Savior more than you presently love your sin. Father in heaven, help each and every one of us to take the perfect, sure, true, right, good, loving, kind gospel of Jesus Christ into this dark, sin-sick world. Open our mouths that we would speak truth regardless of the opposition that we will face. Let your gospel cost us something. To your praise, to your glory, we pray to be your slaves. In Christ's name, amen.